Welcome to the NRSNG podcast number two, Stroke 101. Um, and as always, you know, this podcast is meant for uh, educational purposes, shouldn't be used in uh, clinical decision making. Um, so I just want to briefly discuss the, the basics behind stroke and, and some of the uh, current practices and, and everything behind stroke. So, so what is stroke? So stroke essentially is um, a lack of oxygen delivery to the tissues, um, basically meaning that uh, blood flow is interrupted or altered um, to, uh, to the brain. Um, and there are two classifications of stroke. There's ischemic stroke and hemorrhagic stroke. Um, and within those uh, different classifications, I mean, there's multiple types of, of hemorrhagic stroke. You can have a bleed in many different areas of your brain. Uh, you can have subarachnoid hemorrhage, an intracranial hemorrhage. You can have um, bleeding within different regions inside the brain that will um, affect different uh, different aspects um, as a person begins to to recover. Um, so, for example, you can have a, a, a bleeding in the pons area, bleeding in the uh, basal ganglia, and I'm just basically any area in the brain can bleed. Um, and the mortality and the um, uh, effects that that person will experience will vary depending on where their bleed is, and that's a discussion for a, another uh, time. Um, and then there's a ischemic stroke. Ischemic stroke is is basically a a clot or blood flow is is impeded to um, to a specific area of the brain. The most common um, location for ischemic stroke. Um, is the MCA, um, and that's the middle cerebral artery, and that uh, that happens to be the, the place that is most commonly occluded with ischemic strokes. Um, so the majority of people that experience stroke um, actually have an ischemic stroke. Ischemic strokes make up about 80 to 85 percent of all strokes that uh, that um, people experience every year with uh, hemorrhagic strokes being only about 15%. Um, now, there's a few things that will exclude someone from being diagnosed as a stroke, um, and we call those the three Ts. Um, that's trauma, tumor, and table. So basically that means if, if the bleeding within their brain is caused, or the occlusion within their brain is caused by um, trauma, falling off a ladder, or something if that if the uh, bleeding occurs due to that that's trauma and that excludes them from having the stroke diagnosis um, table that refers to surgery if, if bleeding occurs within their brain or um, as a result of surgery then we call that table and that excludes them from a stroke diagnosis and the last one is tumor if it, it's a tumor that it, that uh, creates the the uh, oxygen delivery um, uh, alteration within their brain, and then that's going to also exclude them. So trauma, tumor, table, those are the three T's that exclude people from actually being diagnosed as a stroke. Okay, so you have someone that is a, that is an ischemic stroke. They come in, what are some things that are currently being done for those patients? Now, if you think about it, um, within the brain, you have to have you know blood flow to the brain. An ischemic stroke is an occlusion of an artery, um, and so there's basically two um, things that can be done. You can either take out that occlusion, or you can 
bust that occlusion up. Uh, that and and so the things that are done are, are called embolectomies, or you administer TPA. Um, now an embolectomy is actually a guide wire inserted through the groin all the way up into the cerebral arteries um, to the location of the clot and a little cage or wire mesh net is is passed over the clot and it uh, actually retrieves that clot and pulls it out and the goal with that and, and that's done in interventional radiology and the goal with that is to um, regain perfusion to the brain once that clot is actually removed the other option is TPA um, and that is administered um, to individuals. Uh, it's, it's called tissue plasminogen activator, and it's It's given to people to break down blood clots. Um, so if if someone comes into the hospital um, and they are uh, exhibiting symptoms of a of an ischemic stroke, they can be um, a candidate for TPA administration. Now, TPA, it's a very uh, potent medication, and so it's not uh, appropriate for everyone. And there is actually a, a, about a four-and-a-half-hour window of uh, last known normal is what they what is called um, that TPA can be administered. So from the last moment that the person was essentially normal, you really have only about four-and-a-half hours to administer that, that medication. And our biggest risk with TPA is going to be bleeding. Um, as you as you break up that clot, of course, TPA isn't specific to just that one area in the brain that is occluded. It's going to um, it's going to you know act, be active throughout the entire body. So we really have to be careful as we administer that medication. So there's a couple of things we really want to administer it to people under the age of 80. Um, we want to so when someone comes in, they're exhibiting signs of an ischemic stroke, weakness, um, hemiparesis. Uh, slurred speech, all those uh, signs of stroke, they are, first thing they're going to do is they're going to um, send them over to CAT scan. And the reason we send them to CAT scan is uh, the bleeding, uh, bleeding within the brain will show up very rapidly on the CAT scan. Um, and so once a person comes in with those signs of stroke, we, uh, we um, try to determine if it's ischemic or hemorrhagic. So we send them over to CAT scan, get a CT, and if there is no bleeding uh, within the brain, we, we begin to assume that it's possibly an ischemic stroke. Now, ischemic strokes do not uh, actually show up on CT scan right away, so we don't really have that definitive diagnosis that it is a stroke. We just say that, okay, they're exhibiting stroke-like symptoms. We see no bleeding within the brain. Um, let's continue on that line. Um, another thing that you want to verify is that the person... Um, does not have low blood sugars, uh, you know, that confusion, that, that somnolence and everything can be a sign of low blood sugar. So we check their blood sugar, make sure it's within appropriate range. We check the CT scan, and, uh, you know, the symptoms are still being exhibited. We continue to assume that it is, a, it is due to an ischemic stroke. So we continue on, down that pathway. Now, prior to administering TPA, we, uh, we check platelet count. We make sure it's uh, within appropriate range. We make sure the person hasn't recently had a surgery or head trauma. Um, make sure they haven't had a lumbar puncture. Um, and, and we just kind of make sure that, that we aren't going to um, cause an additional problem by um, administering the TPA. So patient comes in. 
their ischemic stroke, check their blood pressure. It's it's 220 over 115. Um, now the reason for that is, of course, that the the occlusion within the brain is is requiring that the heart beat at a higher um, at higher systolic pressure in order to perfuse the brain. So prior to administering TPA, we generally keep patients' blood pressure a little bit higher, over 200, 210, 220 um, systolically. Um, and once the TPA is administered, of course, like I said earlier, we're concerned about the risk of bleeding. And so our goal systolic pressure is going to come down to about 185 just to prevent uh, any further risk of bleeding. We just kind of lower that um, goal systolic pressure down a little bit. And we can do that with different medications. Um, to make sure that it stays below that level. But you really don't want to take an ischemic stroke patient's pressure down too low um, because they do have that clot. We want to make sure that we um, continue to perfuse the brain. So we administer the TPA. They're taken up to the neuro ICU. We monitor them very closely. Vital signs are taken every 15 minutes. We perform our NIH, which is basically a stroke scale, to determine the severity of the stroke, and we perform that every two hours, or we perform that two hours after TPA administration, and then we perform it every 12 hours for 48 hours, and then on discharge. And it uh, it really is amazing to watch patients improve as the TPA um, as the time passes post TPA. Now, as I mentioned earlier, the biggest risk with TPA administration in ischemic stroke patients is going to be um, is bleeding, and patients can actually have kind of a refractory uh, hemorrhagic bleeding after the TPA. And so we'll administer the TPA, we'll get repeat CT scans, and within about 48 hours, 24, 48 hours, if we don't see any signs of of um, hemorrhagic stroke um, bedside, then generally uh, an MRI will be done to kind of get a view of, of that ischemic stroke and things. And the area that, that we're looking for, it's called the penumbra, and that's kind of dead, dying tissue within the brain. And as um, as as time passes after stroke, we'll begin to see the area that's actually affected. Um, so that's kind of what we do with uh, ischemic strokes. Now, if you go and do the embolectomy and in interventional radiology, you're going to want to monitor the site um, where they insert into the groin. You're going to want to monitor that for hematoma because they do... Um, Kind of use a little bit of blood thinners, and they are puncturing through a large um, vein. So you're going to want to make sure that uh, there is no bleeding underneath the tissue there. You're also going to want to monitor distal pulses, make sure there are no clots forming um, within the distal portions to that uh, insertion site. Now, with hemorrhagic stroke, there's a couple different options. You're going to want to obviously maintain the pressures just a bit lower. Um, because you have that active bleeding um, occurring within the brain. Um, now, if the patient comes in with an actual um, aneurysm, there's really kind of two. Well, there's two. Ba there's two options that we'll discuss. You have um, an aneurysm that was that is within the brain that may be leaking. So there's a couple things you can do. One is interventional radiology again. Another is surgical. So if they have an aneurysm, you can kind of go in the same kind of puncture site that you would with TPA. However, you'll go in with, with what's called coils. You actually feed the coil, the little thin wire, directly up to the aneurysm site. And um, the interventional neuroradiologist or the interventional radiologist will insert tiny little coils within that aneurysm up into it. Um, and depending on the size, we'll help them know kind of how much 
coil to feed in there, and you, you just fill the entire aneurysm outpouching there with these coils. And with time, um, that that uh, vein or artery will actually heal, um, and uh, and you'll you'll stop the bleeding there. Another option is to actually go in surgically and clip the aneurysm, to actually clip the neck of the aneurysm. Um, look, waiting for the uh, the, um, the vessel to heal again. Um, now, if you were looking at a so those are kind of the two options with aneurysms. Now, after someone has a coiling or a clipping, we are going to be concerned about uh, vasospasming, and vasospasming can occur due to low blood volume. Um, you know, you had blood loss, and now we're concerned about low blood volume. Um, so we will do something that's called Triple H therapy. Um, and what Triple H therapy does is it's it's an attempt to... Um, prevent the vasospasming. And so what um, what Triple H therapy really does is it's called, what we do is we um, kind of take care of that aneurysm, and then post-clipping or post-coiling, we actually do what's this Triple H therapy, and that involves hypertension, hypervolemia, and hemodilution. Hypertension, hypervolemia, and hemodilution. You'll see that all three of those are, are essentially aimed at the same thing, which is blood volume and maintaining that blood volume a bit higher to ensure that we have um, perfusion through uh, the area of aneurysm repair. So hypertension, we're going to actually post, this is all, again, this is post-coiling or post-clipping of those aneurysms, of the aneurysm. So after we do that, we're going to actually look for a little bit higher blood pressure. Um, so we're going to force blood through the arteries, the cerebral arteries, and make sure that we're getting that perfusion that we need. Now, hypervolemia, we're going to give them fluids, give them a little bit more blood volume, um, and ensure that there's there's ample volume within the arteries to, to perfuse. And then hemodilution, we're going to thin the blood out, help it flow very easily through um, through the brain. So those are the three things that are done post-clipping or coiling of an aneurysm, hypertension, hypervolemia, hemodilution, and that is termed triple H therapy. Now these patients will be given a, a specific calcium channel blocker called nematop or nimodipine. It's called nimodipine. Um, and what this calcium channel blocker does, it's actually specific, more specific to the um, cerebral arteries, and it is... The goal of it is to prevent uh, vasospasming. A lot of times you'll see doctors order this drug for 21 days, Q4 hours. Um, and you just really want to make sure that it's a, it's a PO medication, so you want to make sure it's not delivered through um, an IV. Um, so even if your patient is on a is on an OG or NG tube, you want to make sure it's delivered um, that way rather than through an IV. Um, and this is generally a 21-day course of medication. This is usually what doctors will do in this case, and, and just to make sure that we prevent any of that vasospasming. These patients, again, will have uh, repeat CT scans to ensure that uh, bleeding hasn't increased or, or picked up. So those are really kind of the two types of strokes that we're going to see um, in our neuro patients. And those are some of the therapies that can be done. So really for ischemic stroke, which is generally about 85% of the stroke population, you're going to see... Um, embolectomies, um, or you're going to see TP administration. 
And of course, there's a lot of things to consider with this. How severe is the stroke? What's the location? What's the condition of the patient? So with TPA, T, or so with ischemic strokes, we're talking about blood clots or occluded arteries, and the most common site is the um, middle cerebral artery, and we're um, looking at um, either going in and pulling the clot out physically via um, interventional radiology or administering TPA to actually break up that clot. And then with ischemic or with uh, hemorrhagic strokes, which make up about 15% of the population or so, we are looking at uh, clipping or coiling that aneurysm, um, and that's generally with our uh, like our subarachnoid hemorrhages and things like that that are going to have these aneurysms that are bleeding in there. And so we're going to go in and either coil that aneurysm in interventional radiology, or we are going to um, clip that the neck of that aneurysm and get rid of it. Um, yes, yeah, so what happens is, is as, as that blood is getting into the, to the cerebral space, um, it can actually cause uh, adjacent vessels to spasm. That's called vasospasming, and so we really want to prevent that after a hemorrhagic stroke. So we are going to give um, a practice as Triple H therapy in a lot of cases, which is hemodilution, hypertension, and hypervolemia. Um, and that's the goal of that is to prevent that vasospasmy, make sure the arteries are perfused and, and, and everything. So this is the goal of these, uh, these um, procedures with, or with ischemic and hemorrhagic strokes. Eventually we'll go into further detail about the types of um, hemorrhagic strokes and locations and the types of ischemic strokes and locations and, and what deficits we're going to be looking for. And we'll go further into um, the uh, NIH stroke scale and different things like that. That's just an overview, um, stroke 101, very basics about what's happening with stroke and uh, some of the um, some of the treatment and care that you may expect to see within your facility.